a, a time of year when uh, there's a lot of excitement in the air coming around Christmas and around the holidays and what they represent. And it's amazing how even sometimes even the irreligious become religious in this time of the year. They'll kind of bring out the nativity scenes. They'll kind of start talking to God talk. And that's, that is certainly okay. I think it's a great window door of opportunity for those who are full-on, 24-7 Christ followers to, to embrace, to not criticize, to love, to accept. And hopefully God will use that conversation and your grace uh, to bring them along deeper into the faith. But, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of uh, different expressions for faith and what it looks like. And I'm talking about different religions, but I want to even talk about in the in, in the scope of Christianity. There's a lot of different looks themes, if you will. There's not a cookie-cutter Christian out there. Now, there are cookie-cutters out there that people would like to make you look like something, believe something a certain way, set and determined, and vote a certain way, and all that kind of stuff, that this is the Christian way, only way. In reality, there's, there's quite a bit of diversity, even within our expressions of the faith. There are some rock-solid non-negotiables. We don't move away from those. And that's one of the things that the book of Hebrews has helped us with is getting down to some brass tacks on some absolute non-negotiables uh, about that. And as we study today, we'll be looking at the book of Hebrews chapter 11, continuing our march right on through Hebrews. And the thing is, is chapter 11 is just like the other chapters throughout the 13 chapters of, uh, of, of Hebrews. It's densely packaged. It's full. It's overflowing. There's no way under heaven that I'm going to be able to, in the next 30 minutes, cover the content of chapter 11. There are 17 different characters that are, are, are highlighted in this, what some have called the Hall of Faith. So there's no way that I can do justice to even the ones that I will uh, deal with. But I'll say this in your, for the sake of your own studying, and I hope that you will take it further than just where, where I go today. There is a broad spectrum of people and individuals and beliefs and genders, vocations and periods of time and political environments. But that gives me somewhat a, a heightened level of encouragement about living out the faith. That no matter the political arena, no matter the circumstances, no matter the gender, no matter where you may be, your faith should be, can be real and really lived out. It's not some pretend plastic kind of something. The thing is about the chapter 11 that we're going to look at today, chapter 11 isn't complete without chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 really brings it all together. It really sums it up. We're not even going to deal with chapter 12, 1 and 2 this week. That's actually next week's message on Christmas, kind of Christmas weekend, if you will. It's going to fit well as we wrap up the series in Hebrews. But 11 just really ramps us up and gets us ready for chapter 12. Uh, I hope that you'll be here next week. It's going to be a little bit differently, so definitely look at the times. Next week we'll only have two worship gatherings on Sunday morning. Uh, it'll be at uh, 9 and 10.30. So 
Pick out which one that, that, choose, that works for your family and hopefully friends. Again, have those conversations with people this week and invite somebody along with you uh, for one of our gatherings. Identical services on Christmas Eve at 3.30 and 5. Those who want to kind of mark their Christmas at right before Christmas and that traditional worship time uh, will be on Christmas Eve. So we'll have two, four different options all the same time. Pick up your tickets at Ticket Central. It's not doesn't cost. The tickets just help us make sure the room stays balanced. We have had massive explosions in some rooms and crickets in the next service. So it helps keep us uh, uh, balanced in, in, in anticipating for attendance. Uh, so you can do that at the end of our service. But today, 17 people. Who do you speak about? Who do you talk about? This important passage of Scripture is there. You know, could talk about Abraham, could talk about Moses, obviously major players, major patriarchs, major prophets. There's lots of room to talk about them. But I'm just going to assume, I'm going to be going way too far, but I'm going to assume you know something about Moses. I'm going to assume you know something about Abraham and some of the other patriarchs that are mentioned here. I, I want to go to the more obscure, the, more, the less talked about. I want to talk about Abel. I want to talk about Enoch. I want to talk about some people who are unnamed. I want to talk about a lady named Rahab. And I just want to highlight them for just a moment with you so that hopefully you'll get a picture of, again, the diversity of time and gender and, uh, and, and lifestyle and the absolute, here's what I want you to take away from today, the absolute transforming, life-changing, life-altering effects of a true faith relationship with the God of the universe. That if you have this faith relationship with the God of the universe, and again, it, the story's not complete until next week, so you'll get a little bit, you'll get the wrap on it next week, but it, it, it certainly, we get enough to get going uh, this week, and the reality is, is that this, this faith relationship should transform your life in meaning and purpose and destiny. Where are you headed? Where are you going? Why are you here giving you sustenance to the life that you live? That's the transforming element of faith in us. When we have this faith relationship with God, I want to give a couple of axioms or proverbs that kind of nail down some, some pillars, if you will, for faith, okay? So again, for the sake of time, I don't have time to develop all this, but it just lays a foundation for us. Number one is that God works through my faith making me whole. Making me whole, all right? works through my faith, making me whole. Now, you can use the word redemption in there, or redeem you, or reconcile you, or save you. You can use any of those other Christianese words in there if you want to. But the key is, He completes you. He makes you whole. He fixes the broken pieces. He makes you what you were designed to be. And he, it may take Him the rest of your life. In fact, it will. It will take you the rest of your life of Him working in and, and through you all the way. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, that by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a conduit. It is a means in which God's grace flows into our life. If the faith isn't there, it's like a dam, it's like a valve that's shut off. God's grace will not flow into your life unless there is a valve open, a conduit there, and that conduit being faith. Are you expressing, embracing, believing in faith, Jesus Christ? All right? It, it, it majorly changes your life. Faith is my response to God's revelation. 
All I know, all I can believe is what, I, what, what I'm taught, what I'm trained, where, where I pick it up. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says this. It says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The revelation comes so that I can, so it can be revealed to me, so that I can respond to it, so that I can react to what God shows me about Himself. And the thing is, is I live out my life. This doesn't just happen at the day of my salvation. It happens throughout my life. The more I walk with God, the more I experience God, the more He reveals Himself to me, the more I can live by faith in that. That's why you'll see some people in your world and you'll say, man, they have strong faith. Oh, I wish I had the faith like that. Guess what? They responded well to God's revelation. They were either in the Word, they had godly people around them, God called them out, God stretched them, God did a great thing in their life. They didn't get there overnight. They got there by hearing and responding well to God's revelation. All right, we've been saying this all the way through. It's our Hebrews manifest. Jesus Christ is sufficient, is supreme, and He holds salvation for the entire world. And that's what Hebrews talks about. He is sufficient, He is supreme, and He holds salvation for the entire world. That's a beautiful, powerful, all-encompassing statement. It's when I have faith in Christ that He makes me whole. Alright? God works through my faith in Jesus to make me whole. He saves me. He's sufficient. He's supreme. He can do it. He's a big God. Alright? Here's the second axiom. Number two is my faith in Jesus works through me making Him known. Alright? Actually, my faith is the conduit in which I know Him, but it's also the conduit in which other people know Him. It is this ebb and flow. It's this give and take. It's this breathe in, breathe out. Inhale, exhale. As I grow in my faith and I live out my faith, guess what? Other people know and experience the grace and the workings of God. We read Ephesians 2.8, Ephesians 2.10. Just a couple of verses later is this, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's God's grace flowing back out of our life, which He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has this great work of grace. Him flowing in, Him flowing out. Him feeding us, giving us His grace, us allowing that grace to flow back out of us into this world. Now, I think this past week, you know, Friday, I think we were all rocked by what happened in Connecticut. I know I wanted to go home, and though most of my kids weren't there, uh, I wanted to squeeze them a little tighter. I, I definitely wanted to know where they're at. I definitely, you know, there's this sense of the family. Where's my family? Where's my, where are my kids? I remember that on 9-11. I wanted to go check my kids out of school on that day because I just wanted them with me. I wanted that, that security. Like I could stop what happened on 9-11. Like I could even stop what happened in Connecticut. No, but there's this security in that. And I think about this Adam Lanza, and I know that there will be many, much speculation about what he did and how crazy and bizarre and horrible. Riff. You know, there's a whole lot of why did that happen and how did that happen? Where did security fail and how did he get the guns and the how and the why and the how and the why? You watch the news. That's everything the news is asking right now. How and why, how and why. In this moment of when I first learned of it, I was driving down the road. It wasn't very far down, a few more miles down the road, that another question popped into my mind. What? What are we going to do about this? 
How many more killings are there going to have to be? How many more Aurora is there going to have to be? How many more Newtown can... What is it going to... And then, I'm, 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 it's just me and a dog in, in, in the car driving down the road, all right? But it was as if God was in the car too. As I'm sitting here thinking through this and just got a lot of window screen in front of me and just thinking about it as I'm, as I'm driving, and it was like a revelation moment for me. It was like a birth announcement was given all afresh and anew for the, almost for the first time. Luke 2.14 came to mind. That when Jesus was born, glory to God in the highest, on earth peace and goodwill toward men. I thought what, what, what Adam needed and obviously didn't have was peace. And what the mean, ugly, god-awful people in this world need more than anything is not judgment but peace. And if we're going to stop this out there that's happening in our world, it's going to take peace. Where do you find peace? You find peace in a little baby named Jesus. And in a faith relationship with Him, He flows into you and His grace flows out of you. His peace flows in. His peace flows out. That's why it's so important when you read the Beatitudes, you see that Jesus called those, blessed are the peacemakers, for what? They will be called the sons of God. See, the mark of being a follower of Christ is that there's peace flowing in and out of your life. So I think about whenever I live in this, this horrible, deluded, messed up world, I need to make sure that I have faith in me. Faith in God Almighty in a relationship. And what does that look like? I want to mention four things. And I had this message prepared before Friday's events, so just bear with me through this. But I think these four marks are at least four marks in these four people of the 17 that are mentioned that we need to focus in on. Number one is that faith turns grudge givers into generous givers. Now, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about life. I'm talking about energy. I am talking about your resources. I am talking about your talents and your treasures. Yes, that is a part of it. When you look at Abel and you look at Cain, you see this beautiful story kind of turn tragic. Whenever Cain and Abel were the, were the first children born to Adam and Eve. So we're going way back in time. We're going way back to Genesis. Because Hebrews highlights all these Old Testament characters, 17 of them. And so we come back to Abel, and Abel, he gives an offering, and his offering is approved, but Cain gives an offering, and it's not approved. Make sense of that. Why did God approve one, accept one, but reject the other? And of course, you know Cain ends up killing Abel out of the jealousy and the anger that's welling up inside of his heart. So as you, as you unpack this story, you find that, that, that Cain was a, was a gardener, if you will, an agriculturalist, and... and Abel, he was a farmer. He, he was a rancher. He had sheep. And so what they brought to God was what they made. Nothing wrong with that. Cain brought fruit and vegetables, I guess. And, and, and Abel brought, brought, sacrifice, excuse me, brought meat, brought, brought fatted meat and all this kind of stuff. And it wasn't that there was some sacrificial set, system set up at that time. No blood offerings were given at that time. It wasn't even there. They both brought an offering. But God would approve of one, but He didn't approve of the others. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, this is what it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he commanded, or he commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift through his faith, through his faith. 
Here it is. Abel gives this gift and it's acceptable. Cain gives a gift and it's not acceptable. What's the difference in the two? I had to go back to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 4 to really get a clear picture of it. And here's what it says in Genesis 4, 4. It says, Abel brought fat portions. He brought his very best. Fat's where it's at, guys. You know that. Fat is where the food tastes good. The Fat's what makes things go, okay? So Abel brought fat portions. He brought his best. And some of the firstborn, he brought his first of his flock. Here's the story. He brought his first. He brought his best. God Almighty, in a faith relationship, deserves your absolute best and your absolute first. If you're giving God the end of your day, the end of your life, the end of your dreams, the end of your money, the end of your time, the last thought, He's only on your mind at Christmas time. It's a pretty poor offering of yourself. What God really deserves is our first and our best. And, and that's what we have to do. You think about the story of the widow's might giving. If you go back in the New Testament, chapter 12 of, of Mark, you'll find this story told of this woman who comes up and gives an offering. And, and, but yet these rich people are giving larger sums of offerings. She walks up, she gives two coins. It didn't even equal a penny. Jesus turns around, he says to uh, this woman, says, this poor woman, she put more in than all of those contributing to the offering box. So how is that? These guys are dropping in this big bling, this big change. It's, it's banging in the bottom. It's making all this clanging noise. They're giving so much money. But this woman comes up and she drops in two coins. She gave everything she had. That's what he said. He says, for they all contribute out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty. See, God isn't measuring how much you give to, compared to me. He's measuring, are you giving your best? Are you giving your first? See, God doesn't settle for anything else. And a person who lives by faith, who walks by faith, who's going to make the hall of faith in your age and in my age will be like Abel. And their, their, their story will be told by the giving of their life. The rule of giving is this. God deserves our first and He deserves our best. He deserves our first and He deserves our best. People are not remembered by what they keep. I don't know if you realize that. They're remembered by what they give away. Think about it. Adrian Rogers tells the story of a person that he was about to perform a marriage ceremony for. And I remember hearing this story and jotting it down. I was amazed by it. But as the story unfolds, is, is, is this lady, she's, she's engaged to be married. She's with her fiancé. They're getting ready for the wedding. She has to run to the bank real quick to make some transactions and, and then head back and meet up with her fiancé for dinner. On the way, leaving the bank, she has a fatal car accident and doesn't make it back to her fiancé. The police come up on the scene. They investigate. They go and they find the family. They find the fiancé and they tell them the bad news. But there was something that happened in that investigation. Again, I'm just relaying a story, a true story that was told. It says the police officer was holding in his hand some of the things that they helped to identify who was in the, bo- who was in the car. He says, we found her bank statement. And to be honest with you, it caught me off guard because as I looked down at her bank statement, and this is, I mean, days obviously after the accident, they're having this conversation. He says, I looked down the bank statement, I noticed that, that she gave regularly large sums 
to, to your church? What was that about? And this guy didn't go to church, didn't know Christ, was not a Christ follower at all. And so the, the fiancé, now grieving fiancé, was able to turn this odd conversation into an opportunity to say, yes, she really believed in Jesus. She really gave Jesus her first and her best, and she did it by giving to her church. This police officer, who was not a Christ follower, far from God, starts going to her church and becomes a follower in Christ. It was an amazing story. And then I thought about Abel. Look at the last statement. I didn't read it earlier. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. When I think about this lady, though she was dead, her life was speaking. Abel's speaking, Abel's faith created a legacy that went on to, to generations to this very day. He was known because he gave his first and he gave his best. Number two, I don't want us to miss this. Faith turns people pleasers into God pleasers. Who are you living for? Who are you seeking to please? You've heard the phrase, live for an audience of one. Who is the one that you are living for? Who are the, who's the one? If you're trying to please everyone, if you're trying to please your spouse and your children and your boss and you're trying to make everyone happy, you'll not make anybody happy. If you haven't figured that one out, figure it out soon. Live for an audience of one. Who is the one that you are going to live for? We don't know much about this guy named Enoch, but he's in the very next verse, and we find out a little bit about Enoch. But we find out also about Enoch back in, again, Genesis chapter 5. It says that Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch is one of the few people in all the scriptures that didn't ever have a funeral. He was walking with God, and then he wasn't on the earth. An amazing story. Some person said this, that he had such an intimate relationship with God that as he was walking with God one day, that all of a sudden God said, Hey, Enoch, you're closer to my home than yours, so why don't you just come home with me? That may have happened. I don't know. But the point being is that there was such an intimate relationship. How is it? that Enoch had such a major, powerful, beautiful relationship that literally his epitaph is known as he walked with God. Well, if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, it says this, For by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him, everything we just talked about. Now before he was taken... He was commended as having pleased God. So walking with God equals pleasing God. Now how is it that I please God? The next verse says how we don't please God, so just take the opposite of that. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. See, the way I'm going to live in this world, pleasing to God, walking with God, is that I'm going to have to walk by faith. I'm going to have to walk in faith. I'm going to have to walk by faith. Walking in faith is that I have a faith relationship with God. Now notice what it says in the last part of Hebrews 11.6. It says this. It says that he uh, uh, draw near to God must believe that He exists and He is the rewards those who seek Him. It's more than just some head knowledge. It's a heart relationship with God Almighty. You're believing and you're seeking and you're longing for. Would you describe your relationship with God right now in your mind? Are you seeking Him? 
Are you walking in faith? Faith may be all around you. You're listening to faith talk right now. You may pray at the table at Christmas time over the meal in faith, but are you living in faith? Do you have a faith relationship? Are you believing? Are you seeking? Are you truly in that kind of relationship? Because Enoch walked with God. He pleased God, and he lives with God. Think about it. How would you describe your faith? Because we're told to walk in faith, but we're also told to walk by faith. It tells us in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, it tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. There's going to be times that God's absolutely going to stretch you beyond your comfort zone. He's going to ask you to do things that you've never done before. When's the last time you've ever done anything that if God didn't show up, you'd, you'd fail in your face? You'd fail miserably. See, the problem is is that so many of us live a life of worry and regret and not faith. See, sorry looks back. Worry looks around. But faith looks up. And we're called to walk by faith. To be like Enoch, to be like this unknown, we don't know anything other than he was the father of Methuselah. I mean, that's all we know about him. And he walked with God. He pleased God. And to please God means you live by faith and you live in faith. Number three, God does amazing things when He works through us when we live by faith. He he turns people pleasers, He changes them into God pleasers. He takes grumpy, grouchy givers and, and He gives them a generous heart where they're able freely to give of their first and their best to God. But thirdly, Faith turns harlots into heroes. Got your attention on that one. Faith will change the trajectory of your life. There's there's one name in this list of many names that just doesn't doesn't jive. You you think of Abraham and Moses, and you think of these great men of the faith, but you don't think of a, a harlot, a prostitute named Rahab, who who lived most likely a pagan, was a pagan and a prostitute. That meant that she was a prostitute in a pagan temple and sold her body in some kind of paganistic worship. She was as far from God as you could possibly be. But she encountered spies. These spies came in. She welcomed them into her home. And she set her heart to follow after Yahweh God. That's when we have Hebrews 11, 30, 31, where it says this, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. See, she embraced God followers and she became a God follower. Now there's something that's so important here I don't want you to miss. And this is the beauty of a relationship in Christ. Don't miss this. In Christ, your faith defines you, not your history. We all have a checkered history to one degree or another. But the beauty of a relationship in Christ, as is true of Rahab, makes a harlot a hero, is that He can redeem us from no matter how broken and shattered and messed up it's been. He can redeem that and set us free to be marked as a hero of the faith. And that's what it means to have a life in Christ. We've done something really cool around here for several years now. 
At Christmas time, we take up a special Christmas offering. There's some offering uh, little stockings that you can pick up on your way out. There's a limited number. They only have one per family if you plan on being back next weekend. A couple of years ago, we did this, and we said, just put this in a significant place in your living room, on the table, or something like that, and let it just be there all week and pray about it. And I challenge you to give a gift to this cause that we're going to give a gift to, and we've been doing this for years, that would be equivalent to someone you dearly love in your family. So think about it like that. How much would you spend on someone you dearly love in your family? And consider that. The past several years, we've given uh, money to help start a peanut butter factory in West Africa um, where there's chronic malnourishment. And this is actually pictures inside the factory just waiting for the equipment to be put in its place. And then a coup came to the country. And so now it's kind of in, in shambles. The building is there still waiting for the uh, machinery, but the people aren't able to work, so they've actually moved the operations to Ghana, and they're having to start from the ground up again. We're still believing it's going to happen. They're going to import it into uh, the West African nation that we work in, but we just need to keep praying about that. We've done our part, and we're continuing to work with them in that. But last year, we raised money for an orphanage, uh, for a bus in an orphanage called New Day in Zambia. And we love the people in Zambia. It's where we lived for seven years and love the work there. And we were able to be a part of this orphanage from its very beginning. And now we are able to buy a bus for it this past year. And here are the picture of the kids getting ready to go to Lusaka, the capital city, to get their teeth cleaned for the very first time on the bus. And so we're excited about that. That was last year. This year is a little darker. Now, obviously, the other ones are dark, mounted nourishment and orphans, but... What I'm about to tell you, we're going to help with this next year. It's a pretty dark moment. Our offerings are divided into thirds, and all of it, one, one third of it will go towards a human needs project. And this human needs is to stop human trafficking that is so rampant, especially in the nation of India. There's other nations around Asia, but it, the one that we're targeting is, a, is an agency that we'll be working with in India. It's a very good, reputable agency that works with ladies that want to leave, want to leave this sex trafficking and get free from this, and they're living in God-awful circumstances. And this agency steps in, provides counseling, clothing, housing, skill training, all these elements that they need to be able to go out and live on their own. And the thing is, is I'm somewhat oblivious living in humans' right-centered America. But I don't realize what's really going on out there. But I want to show you a brief three-minute clipping of an Australian news guy who did an investigation in part of the areas where we hope to rescue some children or some some trafficking. Go. Indian police raid a Bombay brothel. The madams are outraged. This is the end of a month-long Channel 4 investigation. We've come into the roof of this brothel that we've raided. Come, come. These teenage girls are victims of one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. Sex traffic. So this, this couple here are the people that trafficked your daughter to Bombay? Bombay. To Bombay. How long was your daughter 
Fatima, how long was she kept in Bombay? For nine months. Nine months. How old was she? Fourteen years old. Here she is. Pratima was drugged with a spiked mango juice, raped in Calcutta, and then sold to a brothel in Bombay. Hello. Hello. The scale of this problem is phenomenal. Pratima's journey into and out of prostitution started here in Siliguri. That's where she was captured. She was then taken to Calcutta, where she was raped and prostituted, and then put on a train and sold into Sheila's brothel in Bombay. Ah, there's some girls in here. Okay. What's that other banging? How many? Let's keep an eye on them, Richard. There's one, two. Ten girls, that's ten human beings, trafficked and hidden in this space, out of this tiny hole here, which is four foot by three foot, six girls emerged. Six. And there were four in the tiny space that I'm in right now. You know, I think about modern-day Rahab's. I hope it's my goal that we will rescue 20 ladies, close a brothel or two, through, through this process that we'll be a part of. And I hope that 20 Rahab stories will come out of this, of ladies who have a dark history, but in Christ, your future is defined in Christ and not in your past. Let that be something, that your faith is not defi defined by your history, was defined by your faith in Jesus Christ. Let me mention one more group of people, and they don't even have names. One more group of people that I think mark a true faith being lived out. Not just people pleasers turn to God pleasers, grumpy people turn to generous people, not just harlots turn to heroes, but I also want you to see the nameless nobodies turn to shameless somebodies. The problem is, is that it can be really easy for me to skip over this, but I just can't in good conscience skip over what may be the most tragic story, but the most very realistic in our world today. Verse 36, where it talks about others. Others suffered mocking and flogging in chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheeps and goats, destitute and afflicted. This is the life of a follower of Christ at times. Now, I know we like little fairy Jesus where He sprinkles little magic dust on us and life is just all wonderful and sweet and good. But the reality 
is that there are people in this world who suffer for their faith. And I have to look at them as great heroes. I can remember one story sitting down, and I'm finished with this, with this, with a lady, and I'm going to call her Lizzie. I, I blogged about her several years back when I was in Indonesia, and I was there, and we ate by the, uh, the Java Sea. I can remember we had this fish, and the only thing that was missing was its intestinal tract. Everything else was still there. And so as we ate this fish, she told me her stories until I lost appetite, and then I just listened. She talked about for nine years she had been beaten for being a Christian. Beaten not by strangers or legal people, but beaten by her mother, beaten by her uncle, beaten by her brothers, because she left the Islamic faith to become a follower of Christ. And I think about that, that story, and I think about that, that kind of life, and I said, surely that, that doesn't happen in modern world. And I asked her at the end of, end of our time, I said, do you regret becoming a follower of Christ? Nine years of beating and torture and can't even leave your house without your parents chasing you down? What has that been like? Do you regret? She says, not on your life. She says, I'm lonely. She says, but I don't regret giving my life to Christ. See, a life in faith, it will change you. It will give you a destiny. It will give you a meaning and a purpose that, that this world doesn't offer. It's a life in Christ, living like Christ. See, the book that I hold in my hand was written by persecuted Christians for a persecuted church. Think about it. We live in a free country. But the cross of Christ, the gospel carries with it the cross. And we as followers of Christ, we must carry that cross. There will be times that we'll be called to sacrifice and to give up and to do without because that's just what it means to walk with Christ. I wish it was a little simpler than that. One hymn said it like this, Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. And the beauty of a life in Christ is it'll change your perspective. Your history won't matter as much as your future and faith in Him will matter. It will change your life. Would you pray with me? The person of faith gives his first and his best to God. What are you holding back on? Are you giving him your first? Are you giving him your best? It will change you from being a people pleaser to a God pleaser. Who are you living for? Who's your audience of one? It'll change you, make you a hero despite the brokenness of the past. It may even lead you into a life of, at times, suffering for Him. But it's worth it. Father God, I pray that You'll open our eyes and our hearts right now to a life of following You. Lord, may we study Hebrews 11 this week in anticipation of Hebrews 12 next week. May we see it. May we follow it. May we live like these great men and women of the faith. May our faith define us and not our history. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing?